Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Well, welcome to this edition of Rescue Radio. Jerry here and Marjorie, go ahead and pray, will you please? Oh, thank you. Father God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this awesome day that you've given us too, that your will be done, O God, on earth in and through us right now, as it's being done and declared in heaven. We come into agreement with the purposes of heaven, the single unity of the Holy Spirit that you've sent to dwell in and among us, Lord God, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart to receive, to understand, to be transformed by your truth, because you said you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity. We thank you for each one who's joining us tonight, Father God, and for those who will be listening through the archives. May you speak to their hearts, encourage them, uh, quicken them to understand the conspiracy, the spiritual warfare, the stuff that goes on, to help them make sense of it, Lord God, and your promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. So, God, give us wisdom now as we speak as the oracles of God. May we speak correctly, rightly dividing your holy word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Margie, why don't you introduce our topic for this evening? It's mm-hmm. a very, wow, what an interesting topic. Well, I've, I think we need to talk about dealing with other people's demons. Other people's demons. Yeah, dealing with them. I know a lot of people that have demons. I know a lot of people that have demons, too. Yeah. And so so when you're talking about other people's demons, what are you talking about, first of all, when you're talking about demons? Well, Jesus gave us power over all the power of the enemy. He said, nothing shall by any means hurt you, can tread on serpents and scorpions, and, and over all the power of the enemy. And notice that Jesus cast out demons. He says, he says, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely given. So we need to make a little bit of a distinction here between demons, which are disembodied spirits or evil spirits, that are the um, that have come through the the offspring of the the, the cross pollination between the devil and humans, and the, their offspring are called nephilim or giants or men of renown. And they when they died, their spirits couldn't go anywhere because they were neither human nor demon, so they didn't fit into either category of heaven or hell. So they wander around looking for uh, bodies to continue their existence. They are disembodied spirits. So demons are not the same as the devil, uh, Satan, the devil, the deceiver, the accuser. He has many names, uh, but he is uh, he's uh, one of the fallen angels, of one, one of the third of the fallen angels. And then, of course, we have Lucifer, who was the covering chair of the um, worship of heaven. But we're talking about the, the little demons that do a lot of damage um, through cunning, through conspiracy, through their wiles and their deceptions. Well, when we're talking about demons, so some people say, now, wait a minute, people refer to their demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, aren't uh, we just talk- affectionately, don't yeah, they? Yeah, affectionately, or, you know, uh, and if somebody, you know, gets into trouble, uh, you know, high-level politician or something gets into trouble, and they, so they, they get uncovered for what they were doing, and they say, well, they got hit all these demons. But aren't we just talking about 
psychological or emotional issues or personality issues Well, this here, goes along with... call them demons? Yeah, no. Uh, I believe everything is conspiracy in terms of war, spiritual war. The whole Bible is full of war and the conflict between good and evil. And that conflict is waged through spirits. It's waged through spirits, spirits that uh, orchestrate, tempt, manipulate, control, maneuver human beings. Uh, The Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. So when you're talking about personality disorders or mental illness or psychological disorders or uh, medical labels, you're just giving a label or a description to a, a type of behavior or activity or system or syndrome or set of symptoms. You're just labeling something. You're not necessarily authenticating that because it's labeled that. That doesn't mean that's what that is. That's what we just label it to grab onto it quickly and make it easily understood. But behind the label, there's an activity. There's a deliberate diabolical plot going on. Um, and so I don't really, you know, people say, well, you know, it's, we have this issue and we have that issue and we're, we have this condition and that condition. I go deeper than that to look at the demonic uh, the, the war that goes on to divide the house. Satan is here to divide the country. The nation set people up in odds against each other. In in Second uh, Corinthians ten four or I'm ten three. It says, uh, I think I just mentioned that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So he's coming uh, to set us up in opposition to ourselves. Jesus says in Matthew twelve that Satan comes to divide the house. So there are many houses that Satan's working on dividing. One one could be called our country. One could be called uh, the countries of the world, setting them up in war and opposition to each other. And the other house is our own, our own physical temple body. And, of course, when we're talking marriage or family, there's another house that Satan wants to divide. To divide. What about, aren't we trying to blame the devil for our own misbehavior? What about uh, our accountability um, well, that. Are we just, are we just, can, the de- can Paul, we just say the devil made me do it and get uh, off the hook? Or well, you know, work? Paul, he uh, he blamed the devil in Romans seven. He says, "It is the evil that dwells in me. It's um, it's, it's within my members. Me. Yeah, mm-hmm. my sin. And the result of sin comes out of believing the lie. The sin is the fruit of that believing that lie. And so Paul said, "Who will deliver me from this body of death? This and in the in the Amplified in Romans six twelve, he says." Um, let not sin rule as king in, or permit it to rule as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable body to obey it in its lusts, evil passions, and cravings. To make you obey it. Make you. Something is controlling, coercing you, forcing you into doing something you don't want to do. And then Paul says in Romans seven twenty, he says, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. And so many people get all tangled up in and, and hating the sin that they're doing, and they don't know how to, that's exactly what Paul's saying, I'm hating this thing that I'm doing, and I don't know how to deal with it, because if it's me that's doing it, then I hate myself, and to hate my, to get rid of the sin, I must technically get rid of myself, which means self-destruction or suicide. And the question is, how does that profit the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. So what what's the difference, is there a difference between sin uh, and sins? Does sin have a kind of a separate existence, or what's the relationship between the the principle of sin and specific sins, thoughts, actions, attitudes that we call sin? Well, I think the very first original sin was the um, the agreement that Adam and Eve made that turned over the, the earth and their authority, 
uh, to the enemy, that one simple bite into that fruit, whatever kind of fruit it was, doesn't say it was an apple, but there, there, that came, that was all that was needed to transfer all authority, all jurisdiction over to the kingdom of darkness, because the rule is whom we yield ourselves servants to obey, that's whose slave we become. So at that moment, not realizing what they had just done, they just had done it. They thought it was a simple little, you know, curiosity thing, but it became the absolute uh, pivotal point upon which the earth shifted from God and God's dominion to the, the prince of the power of the air being the God of this world. And um, so that was sin. We call it sometimes original sin. That original sin then set up a whole system, uh, environment, uh, predisposition, uh, gave authority to the, the enemy to begin to snatch people in personal sins and trap them, set them up, deceive them. And how sins happen are through our vulnerabilities. Because we're made in, in the image of God, we love justice, truth, holiness, peace, righteous, good, righteousness, and goodness. But we're built with human bodies that are vulnerable to needing certain things. We need food. We need air. We need water. We need uh, love, mercy, forgiveness. We need meaning and purpose. We need um, certain air pressures and conditions in our head. And when those things, uh, temperatures, whatever, if those things are not given to us, we panic, we freak, and we become desperate. And so the enemy uses that desperate moment, whether he sets us up in fear or terror or trauma or abandonment or whatever, to give, to offer us a solution to solve that desperate moment. And when you come into an agreement with that, that is when sin is conceived in James chapter 1, verse 14, 15. So when your agreement with the devil's solution come together, brings that conceives, brings forth sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Right, exactly. And we're still suffering from the consequences of that. And we know that curses from the Garden are still here, although the, pl- the blessing and the promise that God gave has already been fulfilled in our generation. We have the cross. Uh, we have the, p- the fulfillment of that promise. So believing the lies and then the sin that results from that, that puts us under the authority of the enemy. Right, because the rule is whom you yield yourself servant to obey, or Jesus okay. said he who commits sin becomes a slave of sin. But one of the things that we need to understand is that what the Lord talks about and he warns us of when he gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, he says, he says the sins of the fathers are visited onto the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, he also says in, in Leviticus twenty six thirty nine. Through 40, he says, if you're attempting to go into the promised land to get back your, your land, your soul, your life, and you see yourself being attacked, eaten up, beaten up, and wasting away. Those are his three kind of phrases, eaten up, beaten up, and wasting away. Mm-hmm. He says, and that's what it looks like around us all over the place today. He says, if you will confess your sin, you know, and the iniquity, he says, I'm sorry, he says, if you will confess your iniquity and the iniquity of your fathers, which is with you, then I will restore the covenant. Now, what I see iniquity is, is an accumulation or a pattern of sin coming down the bloodline. So sin from generation to generation, third, fourth generation, that's not yet been dealt with, becomes that pattern of iniquity that Satan uses. It's like a highway that he uses to bring down his curses, his judgments, and his justification for pr- putting us under demonic guilt. And then that's to steal our gifts, our hope, our life, our families. So how do people get demonized? And you've talked about that. Comes down the generations uh, from the sin, the, the believing the lies, lies that were believed in generations past right. and the resulting sin. And so, so really, am I, just, am I just a victim 
of the sins of my forefathers, and do I have really any choice? So I'm born into this. I have no knowledge of it. Right. You know what what happened back there? Mm-hmm. Uh, am, am I just just kind of a helpless victim? Well, in some ways, yes, we are. Um, we are suffering. Many people that are listening today, and many people living today, are suffering from the sins that were committed by someone else against them, or sins that were, you know, permitted agreements that were made that opened the doors for those sins to come down through their generational bloodline. So in a way, they are victims. God does not intend us to be victims. He wants us to be victorious, and he does not want our pit experience, the snake pit that we're born into, to define who we are, because he is more than a conqueror. So whatever pit you're born into, whatever family situations, God is able to deliver you from that. So he wants to bring us from that, but he doesn't, we are not called to be victims by God, but that is the experience we have until we raise up with the with the strength and grace of the Holy Spirit. So am I I am I I am pre programmed in a sense to do certain sins. Right. Now is is am I gonna if because generationally, genetically I'm pre programmed, does that mean that I'm automatically gonna be involved in those same sins? Or sometimes some of those sins kind of skip, skip a generation. Or well, how, how does that work? It works just like any other genetic um, transmission. Uh, some, you know, you have four kids. Maybe one has blue eyes and three have brown eyes because you have blue-eyed and a brown-eyed parent. So it's just kind of like, who knows who's going to get the whatever? It's just kind of a determination in the matrix of our mother's womb. But going back to this thing of the sins being carried down, the Bible is very clear about that as well. It says, it, it says. Oh God, if you marquities, who can stand? Um, so we know that the iniquities and are marked. And in Jeremiah, it says they're marked. Um, Jeremiah, this is very interesting scripture. If I can find it, it really talks. I think if they had used the word DNA, it would have been a little clearer. But you see, God says He brought them forth as a a, a, a pure seed. Um, and they had turned into an alien vine. It's Jeremiah yep. chapter two. Let me just read mm-hmm. that real quick to you. He says. Um, Verse 20, for of old I have spoke, I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress. But on every high hill and under every green tree, you lay down and playing the harlot. Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. Now this word seed has to do with DNA. The, the Bible uses that word seed, generation, carrying the seed, the information from one generation to the next. Uh, we would call it DNA. A high quality seed, a seed with good DNA, highest quality. Then how have you turned? How how then have you turned from before me into this degenerate plant of an alien vine? He's saying, how is it that you started out with good good DNA, and now you're this degenerate alien vine that I don't even really recognize? For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, and I think that's our religious activities, mm-hmm. trying to be righteous, be good, be holy, uh, you know, make ourselves pure and perfect. Uh, through soap and through the rituals and the traditions and the work of, of darkness. He said, yet, listen to this, your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord. Um, so in one place it says, your iniquity is still upon you. You are spotted, um, dirty, and stained. So where does that iniquity uh, carry down from? What What is marked? What, what What carries that mark? Well, the only thing that carries the mark of iniquity the judgments from one generation to the next, the unfinished business, the open doors, the unconfessed sins, has to be, it has to be marked on the DNA. So what you're saying, what, I, what you're asking is, are we predispo- just 
predisposed to do these things. Yes, we are. Just like some people are predisposed to be, um, you know, uh, they, they have the intelligence, they, they're architects, they're, they're or inventors or they're adventurers. Or there's, there's a family uh, history of these kinds of things. Yes, it's, some of it's learned and, and taught, but a lot of it is already in the nurture, in the nature of the person. There's nature and nurture. So there's that predisposition, that aptitude to do this various good things and bad things. So we call that our spiritual legacy. And so if there's a, if there's a given all permissions to alcoholism, drunkenness, uh, bootlegging, uh, then you're going to find that, that same pattern. Why do you find that in the people who have parents or grandparents who did that if there's not a pattern, if there's not a predisposition? I mean, it wouldn't make any sense. But you notice that people whose parents don't drink um, and don't carry on, aren't using the addictions or the, the false comfort, seeking false comfort, their children are not as often, probably hardly at all, but sometimes, uh, as predisposed to it. But it usually has to come from an outside source. Then they are the, the initiators of going into that temptation. It's not a predisposed um, thing that's hard for them to overcome. Welcome, oh, by the way, do we? Yeah, we welcome your calls. Three four seven two one five eight zero five one. If you'd like to give us a call, if you have any questions or comments, again three four seven two one five eight zero five one. Margie, let me ask you: uh, Are there predispositions to righteousness, to good yes. things, positive yes. things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people who have lived righteously and their parents have come from the generational bloodlines that are. Uh, given to righteousness and pleasing God, obeying God, they have far less difficulty than the people who have four generations. It's like living in the same house for four generations and nobody ever cleaned it. Nobody ever took out the garbage. Nobody ever mowed the lawn or trimmed the shrubs. It's a mess. But if you get, get someone who's responsible, respectable, they take care of their stuff, they clean the house, and then they leave it nice for the next generation, it's going to be a lot more pleasant to live in that house. And those people have a lot less things to trip over. They have a lot less things to upset them. So these, you're talking about confession. So these these uh, negative uh, predispositions mm-hmm. can be overcome, can mm-hmm. be canceled out. Mm-hmm. And how how is that done? How can that? Be? Well, simply by recognizing them first of all and identifying the crimes, the injustices. Uh, many times, it's very helpful to identify the crimes and injustices that were committed in the generations before you so that you can take the um, authority as the authorized uh, blood representative of that bloodline to forgive those people, to take the authority to close those doors, cancel out those agreements so that they don't continue to have the legal um, uh, power privilege. These demons don't have the power to continue to come down. Their slips, their permission slips are being taken away by forgiveness, by canceling, by confessing those sins. Because when you confess, you're actually canceling out the agreement to them. So this this sounds like a very essential process. Very essential. Very significant process. Now, is is this process being taught generally in, in throughout the church? Not days? at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, most of it's being swept under a religious rug of self-help and try harder. It's your fault. You just need to really want this. You need to, you know, you know. Make it, you know, do it yourself. Be take on the job of your own righteousness. Now, this is a very interesting scenario, where because we're built by God to love, goodness, truth, justice, mercy, and peace, and we're motivated by those things. And when we find there's a discrepancy and there's a flaw and there's a difficulty in our life that 
that doesn't match up to my original divine nature, then I am motivated to clean it up, fix it up, and straighten it up. So this is taking righteous matters, the matters of my righteousness, into my own hands. Now, however, as we're motivated to get this done, but we're caught in a catch-22 between I hate the things I can't stop doing. I hate the sin that I'm doing. Paul said it. I can't, you know, the things I hate I do, the things I, I, I do I don't want to do. So he's caught in this torture rack. And so how in the world could he then deliver himself from the torture rack if he's tied on the torture rack? He needs a deliverer. Now, the problem is, going back to the subtleties of Satan and how he knows how we're built, he knows that we're divine, made in the image of God. And so he comes and offers us, I call them the pious deceivers. That's uh, one set of demons. They come to offer you a solution to your unrighteousness. And they are the spirits that come like religion, uh, deception, divination, false Jesuses, antichrist spirits, spirits of error. And so they come, or, or legalism, performance, they all come to try to help us be good and get to heaven or clean up our act so that God will like us. So a lot of times, this is what churches, they instead of pointing out the demons, they will point the finger back at their members and say, you need to. You need to take responsibility. You need to get your act together. Here's yeah, five steps to this and four steps yeah, to that. Yeah, and ten steps to conflict resolution, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What about, you know, as believers, we have the righteousness of Christ, okay? It's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed or imparted to our account that gives us, you know, justified right. by faith, according right. to Romans chapter so 5. So easy. So if we're justified by faith, and it's the righteousness of Christ that's applied to us, mm-hmm. then it's like, why even bother becoming righteous in our own daily conduct? Well, it says the, that um, whom God foreknew, which is everybody, he predestined to be, called, to, to be created or called, uh, into, conformed, made, conformed to the, to the, in, the image, image of his, of his son, dear Romans son. Chapter so this, this, this is a process of conforming, being transformed. It's the, the righteousness is there. Uh, but God is shaping us and bringing glory through our lives to himself. And that's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, and that's so we are, we're allowing the Holy Spirit. God is the potter. We're the vessel. He's working in us to will and do of his good pleasure. And is that now how does the Holy Spirit work? So we have the righteousness of Christ applied to our lives. Right. So in that process, Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, who works, works in, in you, you to will and to do of his good yeah. pleasure. In other words, he gives you the willingness and he gives you the ability to to do that. So so actually our, our conduct, because we believe in Jesus, our actual day-to-day conduct, thought, word, deed, attitude, is becoming more and more righteous. Yes, that's correct. But you notice... What? Through what? Obedience to the Lord? Yeah, it's out, all, everything works through obedience. Okay. Everything, because it's whom you yield yourself servant to obey. So if you're yielding to the Lord God, then the Holy Spirit is working his, his workmanship in you. But notice uh, we're, we're, um, that verse in Philippians you just quoted, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. To, uh, I think it's 2, 12, uh-huh. 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's one, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This is heads and tails of the same coin. This is how God does not force his uh, process of righteousness or development or shaping onto us. We are 
yielded, were yielded, willing, cooperating with the grace of God to get this done. And, um, of course, the enemy is also trying to take one. The enemy wants to take one aspect of that verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And he doesn't tell you the rest of the verse. So people are striving to complete that verse. You know, um, in the verse like for this is another one Satan likes. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, he doesn't finish the context or the the, the passage that's written in to say that it's not that perfect, 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 everything perfect about me. It's a perfect attitude in the midst of a, mer- a very messy and imperfect world. But, you know, talking about these demons um, that we are, you know, managed by or being overcome with, what happens, I have to ask you the question, and you can ask it back to me, what would happen, do you think, when a person who has is, met da- is, is controlled at least a percentage of the time unaware of that control uh, because they believed that this was just natural, normal, you know, it's just me, it's just being human, it's just being German, it's just, you know, whatever it is, bad day, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they excused Making behavior. Excuses. Uh-huh. And they, but, but it's really demonic activity that is being permitted under the guise of the label of it's just normal, it's familiar, it's okay. But that demonic behavior that's permitted is married, that person is married to another person. Uh-oh. Who has demonic behavior? Uh oh. Yeah. So, uh, why are you saying? That's well. I'm thinking that's a, a question that I was going to ask you, and I'm going to fire this back at you. Uh-huh. Uh What about you've got? Uh, I learned that when when you you're in a relationship with someone else, you're you're you kind of get their demons too. Right. There, there's the package, like you're talking about a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing. The husband, say, is bringing all their generational stuff into that relationship. Mm-hmm. The wife is bringing all mm-hmm. her generational stuff in there. And you've got different sets of demonic activity yeah. mm-hmm. going on. And they're, you know, that's really going to mix there's, it up. There's only one thing that's absolutely simple about all of this and clear and does not change. And that is that the devil, the demons, who answer to the devil, but the demons are assigned the job of breaking up the marriage, breaking up the family, breaking up that oneness of unity. And however they go about doing that, it's it's usually a combination of things because it's they know how to feed into the weak spot of the other person. Uh, maybe one person is insecure, the other is controlling and overlording. And, and they're, they're control, they're, so there can be any number of manipulations, clashes, wars, um, and, and one of the worst things I think that happens in this dealing with other people's demons, I mean, and, and everything can happen out of that. You can have divorce, you can have murder, you can have domestic violence, mm-hmm. you can have uh, alienated children, you can have, um, uh, or you can have reconciliation, you can have deliverance, you can have a lot of anything, whatever you want the Lord to allow or let the Lord allow to work in you, allow the Lord to work in you. But so, what ha- one of the biggest problems with other people's demons is not recognizing that you are actually talking to on many occasions, especially when you're doing things you know the Holy Spirit won't do when you're, you're witnessing in another person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people say, well, I, I, I just I got scared. I saw that the, their eyes went black and I saw this mm-hmm. thing take over. And that's sometimes seen even when parents are in a spirit of rage and they, they beat their children or they beat their wives, mm-hmm. um, whatever. 
So there are times when you can actually see that demonic takeover. Yeah, I just thinking uh, there's an incident we had as we were uh, going out sharing the gospel just this uh, uh, last week uh, where there was a person that we encountered that was really under the influence of uh, alcohol, some other drugs, and demons along mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And so it was very important to recognize that, that we were... Not dealing with they a were being not, only. Yeah, what, what, we were not dealing with just that person. Right. We were dealing with other demonic entities. personalities mm-hmm. and entities there mm-hmm. that really had the control over that person. Well, and to take that one step further, I was dealing with someone this week who had a lot of altars Alters are demonic personalities that take over the person's personality and do things for them. And if you are don't, don't recognize them as they've just disassociated or switched, those are the, what we'd call the multiple personalities. Sometimes people are called bipolar when they flip from being very manic or upper, you know, aggressive and, you know, just very positive and going to conquer the world one minute or one day. And, and, you know, gambling and exorbitant in their behaviors. And the next day they're down and out and depressed and defeated. That, that flipping back and forth, that's two different, uh, you know, alters or demons that are sitting, getting in the dri- driver's seat of, the, of that person's life. And so when you're, when you're talking, like, people who don't recognize that they have alters or demons and or uh, multiple personalities or their mate does not recognize that because you're so used to it and you're so... Uh, you know, you're so uh, unprepared to deal with binding, loosing, forgiving, uh, dealing with demons, because it's too horrible to think that you could have married, uh, you know, horrible, you know, demons that would affect the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, we just don't want to go there. We don't want to dig that deep. We just want to, you know, do the appearance of surface level. And so obviously a lot of people they will put out a good foot forward, the best appearance, best presentation as they're courting, as they're dating, um, as they're young and in love. And they say love is blind. And so then what happens is they marry that person without doing a, a, a what do they call it, due diligence? Due diligence. Yeah. It's almost like it's when you when you buy a house or something, you do due diligence. You do the the the, the title deed and you do the, the abstraction. Yeah. The inspection. Yeah, you have many... You actually take more caution in buying a house, and there's more legal protections than mm-hmm. there is in getting married, if mm-hmm. you can believe that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned about the uh, psychological. Would you uh, let's talk about bipolar, for example, that mm-hmm. diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Is that always something to do with uh, demonic powers mm-hmm. in every case, or is it? Is it sometimes it's just strictly a psychological issue? Um, it's a, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be mo- no, and whatever is more than that is from the evil one. The evil one will bring confusion. He'll bring topics up for discussion to debate whether this is psychological, this is medical, this is you know learned, this is something we can adjust with medications. There is, this is, it's simple. There are really only two kingdoms because if there are if there's a third kingdom, then we have to deal with lines, we have to deal with boundaries, we have to deal with well, where is it cross over from being a medical issue to being demonic? What is that line? Jesus never um, discussed or told us to be aware of any such boundaries or lines. He he would cast out demons, he would heal the sick, he would, for example. The woman uh, with the spirit of infirmity for eighteen years bowed down. Mm-hmm. He 
she had a medical we would call a medical condition. She was she was bound down her she had what's that hypophus whatever the back is bent. What's that called? I don't know. Yeah, your psych your psycho um chiropractor is always talking about that. Anyway, oh, oh, hyper subluxation. No, hyperkyphosis. Somebody call me up and tell me what word oh, I'm trying to say here. I don't know. Anyway, your back is real crunched over, bound, you know, hunchback. Yeah. Okay, so he, this was the woman's issue, and for 18 years she had been like this, but he cast out a demon in this particular woman. He did not, um, you know, in some cases, like for the, the man with the paralytic, the paralytic he, healed, he healed him by identifying him as son and forgiving him and then commanded uh, him to take up his bed and walk. So whatever happened there, whether it was a, a demon or a, um, a healing, it were not clear. But the thing, the fact is, the fact is that he, um, with the woman, he said, ought not this woman who being bound by um, uh, Satan, lo these 18 years being a daughter of, Jesus, uh, of, of, of Abraham, be loosed. And he commanded a spirit of infirmity to come out of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, you know, and so where was the medical? Where was the demonic? Where were they mixed together? Does it matter? It really doesn't matter in the end, which, because number one, you have got Jesus is the healer and Jesus is the deliverer. So Jesus is the solution to whichever condition. Yeah. Spirit of so I, but I think when we're thinking on that, it, people if they're trying to sort this out and figure is this medical, normal, is this an accident, is this a coincidence, is this uh, just you know of me, you, you try to get that third category, you have nothing but confusion. You will not speak with any authority to anything because you're always going to have that little thought in the back of your mind. Well, is this really the devil? Is this really God? And I know a lot of times we use the word devil and demons interchangeably. Um, and that's just bad semantics, but, um, you know, you have to know that you know what you're dealing with and what the entity is, or he will not respect you at all. Like, for example, in the book of Acts, when these people, uh, sons of Sceva, were trying to cast out these demons uh, in the name of Paul, in the, in the name of the God or Jesus that Paul served, the demons were not impressed. Mm-hmm. They just said, we know Paul, but who are you? Mm-hmm. So you've got to know that you know what you know. Well, Jesus really, I mean, he is the, without sounding trite, he is the solution to all this. The Absolutely. activity of Jesus Christ. He says, this is something that is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's It should not be. It's an activity of Satan. And um, uh, by for this reason was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the, the, works of the devil. Yeah. So we're always on good ground when we're praying and using the authority that we have in Jesus' name to destroy um, the works of the devil. But how do we do that? Question back to you. You Question back to me. How do we do that when um, we have married someone who is not willing to deal with their demons, so to speak? And by the way, when I do the generational bloodlines, and I've done thousands of them, literally thousands of them, I often see where there is a deliberate activity of both God and Satan are always in the same place at the same time, working to do the opposite thing, that a godly line will marry into a demonic line. A godly line will marry into a line of murderers or liars or people who are involved in the Illuminati or the Masons. Uh, and it's really the devil intends to shut down that godly heritage that would godly be coming seed. through that godly seed mm-hmm. and and contaminate it or or at least just, you know, distress it, destroy it, scatter it, 
so it will not amount to anything. And so the kids come out of there really confused and angry. Uh, but at the same time, God is working to sanctify the ungodly by the, the, the one who's righteous, as we've heard in Roman, uh, second, first Corinthians chapter 7, where the, the, the believer sanctifies the unbeliever or the, the children are sanctified by the believing parent. So, but it's, it's really hell to pay. Um, and really about the only thing you ever get done in a, in a marriage situation like that, unless you really use the understanding of the principles of deliverance, all you ever do is basically survive in that, in that situation and hope and pray that God will save your mate. So all you've done with your life is basically live to get one person saved mm-hmm. or maybe one person plus your children. So these demons, like say in a, in a marriage relationship, um, demons have a role to play in uh, messing up the communication. Mm-hmm. So there's misunderstanding, Correct. there's conflicts mm-hmm. uh, that take place. So in other words, you are hearing something that really isn't being said. That's what right. you're hearing is is the voice of the enemy, and you don't even realize it. That's a good way to put you're it. You're misinterpreting what's being said. And taking it personal, getting offended, or starting a fight. It's all for the purpose of starting a fight, to create mm-hmm. a divided house. Divide and conquer. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and these filters, or uh, you know, I call them the filters that we see the world through these lenses and perceptions. They were already crafted in the in the snake pit that you came out of. So, Satan, when when a, when we experience something in the snake pit of our lives as children or young people, Satan will not only cause us to go through that experience, but he'll also give us a uh, uh, he'll define the experience or um, interpret the experience for us, uh, whether it's like, for example, that you're uh, disfavored in your family and you don't know why. Maybe it seems like your parent really loves your sibling more or whatever. And so the devil said, well, it's because you're a girl or because you're a boy or because you're, you know, you know, they're better. You're not good enough. And so, the, so with the rejection comes an interpretation by the enemy of why you're rejected because you're not worthy, you don't measure up, you're not good enough. And so that that begins to motivate us to do something to get better, to be loved. So we strive to uh, be accepted or or loved. Some people do that by seeking attention. Some do it by getting in trouble to call attention to themselves, to to draw out the love and attention of the, the one who's refusing to love them, usually a parent. What about now? There, say, there's a single person uh, that's listening to us right now, and they're thinking, you know, okay, uh, I am not sure if I want to get involved with marriage because of what you're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, I got enough trouble with my own demons. I don't need a whole new mm-hmm. set of them. But is there any um, criteria that you'd suggest for a person as far as you know? Well. Looking for a mate. I mean, this is a big maybe yeah. issue, but is is there any is there anything Safety. that you can advise? <laughs> well, for first that? of all, yeah, there, this is a very treacherous piece of ground that we walk through when we're looking for a mate. Um, truly, we need the guidance and the protection of the Holy Spirit. There's several things that will be a little bit helpful. However, if you have known that person for a long time and you've known the real person, not the pretend person, but you've really seen the fruit of their life, or you you know of their, you need to know their family, what their bloodline is like, what's in it, what's happened, because that's what's going to come down and be part of your legacy and part of your children's legacy. You need to know what's happened in your own bloodlines, how people, the, the, the various open doors. For example, if you're coming from a family with a lot of fighting, strife, 
bitterness, divorce, control, witchcraft, that's there. It's going to be there, and you're going to have to deal with it. And if you, you add to that another family that has the same predispositions, you've just exponentially multiplied the spirits of strife and control and bitterness. So you want to know the bloodlines, and you want to deal with your own demons. And that person that you're going to marry has also got to be transparent and willing to deal with their demons, and hopefully before you get married. So someone say uh, say a, a young lady is looking at a guy and he realizes she realizes that boy his family's really been a mess. Uh-huh. But now this this young man has come to know Jesus. I mean he really he's a, a mm-hmm. saved young man. Mm-hmm. But his family his family background is is horrid. Mm-hmm. So does that mean it's uh, safe to go ahead or Not necessarily. <laughs> No, a lot of people we know get saved so they will get the favor of the person they want their hand in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, also, being saved does not get you delivered necessarily. A lot of people need to be baptized in water, immersed. That will get rid of some demons. If you haven't been water baptized, go do that because that is a way of declaring your allegiance to the kingdom of God and being dead to this world. But one of the things that these young people need to, to look at is um, not only being saved, but a lot of people get saved with a lot of demons, and they're still they're still in a place of pretending, uh, hiding, uh, feeling embarrassed or ashamed, or not really letting the other person know them. And the other trauma danger is that they don't even know that they have these demons working in their own life. So when you begin to perceive, for example, you're going with someone and uh, that you see that they're they're really insecure, they're really controlling, they gotta you know, know where you're at all the time. They don't trust you. They, they've got to have you with them constantly. They, you know, when you start to see that controlling piece, a lot mm-hmm. of times girls think, oh, that's Red real flag. security. That guy really cares about me. He's really taking care of me. He may not be. He may be taking care of himself. And you are his, uh, his not just his wife, but his life. And when his wife mm-hmm. goes to the store to get a, bottle, a, a jug of milk and she doesn't come back in 20 minutes, uh, he's out freaking because he's that's your life. So, you know, I don't know if you get that, but that's the start of domestic violence where, you know, um, there has to be control. But so control has to be replaced by trust and not just trust in the person, but trust in the in the goodness and the protection of God and trusting God that I can show you who I am and you can accept me. This is really what love is showing the other person who you are. They show you who they are, and you accept each other, warts and all, so to speak, because you accept them. You don't go to that depth and say, oh, I didn't know that you were that. I don't like you. Ooh, I reject you. And that's what we're all afraid of is that when they get down to the core of who I am, they'll find some reason to reject me, and then therefore I cover that up and pretend I'm something I'm not. And so by the time people get married, they're well-structured. They're they're kind of – it's like a tree that's half-grown or maybe – three-fourths grown, it's already bent in the direction of their defense mechanisms, their protections, their justifications, their blaming. And a lot of times when we see these red flags we're recording, we just blow past it and love is blind and we say, oh, well, we can fix that. We can change them later. Don't even go there. Mm-hmm. You aren't going to be able to change them to do anything. Mm-hmm. So you don't, uh, don't kid yourself on that. It's going to be the Lord that changes people and not we ourselves. Yeah, and if, if you don't have if you don't have the grace to be single, you won't have the grace to be married. Um, That's the way I look at it. Well, I think God does give some people grace to be single. 
Oh, yeah. And he but, gives I mean, some people grace to be married. But there are people if there's a, they, if they have a security in themselves and they're oh. you know they're okay with it. In other words, say, yeah, they have to be. Yeah, they don't have to feel like right. oh man, I'm just a, I need to get married I'm to be a happy whole. person. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a half a person. I need somebody else. It's not wrong to desire to have a mate, mm-hmm. but if you just you know feel like you're uh, just a fraction of a, per- uh, half of a person, person yeah. then you know. The Lord wants to work His grace because in this becomes a place of abuse. Then, when mm-hmm. when we're desperate and we need that other person to complete us, and that's why we're attracted a lot of times. The opposites will attract, but you know, say someone's very talkative and outgoing and gregarious, and they they marry someone or someone who's very quiet marries them because that person, when we go to parties and stuff, that person is going to keep the conversations going, and I can stay in my shy mode and I can you know be my little wallflower person because my gregarious outgoing. Uh, mate is going to do all the socializing for me. So, but but as we are first attracted to those things, those things ultimately become the thing that annoy us. And we become, you know, uh, opposites again. It becomes an annoyance that, that, you know, they're talking all the time or they, you know, they've got to go out and have parties and friends and da-da-da. And I want to stay home and read a book. And so it becomes, you know, kind of a, a flipped kind can, of deal. Can that be a strength, though, too? Well, it can be a strength if you both will allow the other person to operate in their strengths and respect them in it. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a time to be quiet, a time to be talkative, and a time mm-hmm. to go to party and a time to stay home. Yeah. You know, Give us a call if you'd like. If you have any questions or comments, 347-215-8051. Again, 347-215-8051. We welcome your call. One other thing, Margie, what about... Is there a demonic kind of bonding that people can have? We talked about, you know, conflict and mm-hmm. misunderstandings. Yeah. But can there be a an unhealthy bonding, say, between a, a parent and child or a husband and wife or a boyfriend and girlfriend, uh, a, a, a demonic kind of bonding that really hinders right. you? Right. We would call that bondage, and I would call that a soul tie. Um, I think of it this way. A relationship with another person is like a road that goes between the two people. And on that road is things that are meant to travel on that road to be carried back and forth, to be exchanged words, kindness, thoughts, help, encouragement, blah, blah, blah. And so but when the road is, is, is strewn with broken promises, uh, affairs, uh, the trails, uh, whatnot, then after a while you don't want to go on that road anymore. So that relationship is being um, difficult. It's very difficult to stay in it. Now, there's a, what the devil does. What the what the demons do is they build a parallel road a, alongside that road, and that road is built through fear and abuse and control. And so, obviously, if if you're afraid, uh, you you've got to do something. You've got to be somewhere. You've got to be a certain way because you're afraid if you don't that your husband husband's going to come unglued or he's going to lose his temper. We have to be really careful and really quiet, walk on eggshells, because otherwise mom's going to freak out. Um, you're, you're starting to walk in fear and abuse, and I believe that many soul ties are, are formed that are abusive, but they, they, they parallel the re- relationship, so they seem to get uh, tucked in with that relationship. They're, they kind of are seen and, and accepted as one and the same. Now, what, what a soul tie is, is when um, someone, we, when we exchange things, you're tying, for example, how can soul ties be formed? Well, they're formed through exchange of things. 
um, you come into sort of a covenant relationship, you know, something like blood brothers, we exchange blood, we exchange words in sexual relationships, we ex- exchange the sexual act. And so we, we exchange, we, we give them a part of our lives, they give us a part of theirs, uh, they give us their demons and we give them ours. And, and so these soul ties and, and, you know, people, for example, that are demonized, they're able to control that other person, their demons are able to control the second, the other person, the mate, through those ties. And I know a lot of people I've dealt with where someone has been very abusive, very violently abusive, horrible, demonized, mentally ill, tormented, whatever, and they die. And the person who's alive is still tormented by the fear, by the nightmares, and even sometimes seeing that person walking in their in their home or whatever. And so what has to happen is we need to send away those spirits. So when somebody dies, they're, they're from the familiar spirits that are residing in them, the demons that are residing, the evil spirits that are residing in them, and they are, are looking for a new home. They're looking for another home that's similar to the one they just came out of because they don't want to be homeless. So a lot of times when your mate dies or a friend dies or someone you're tied in a soul tie that's not healthy and not proper, you know, bonded with them is different than being bound to them. So if it's not a healthy soul tie, the demon will take advantage of your love for them or maybe you're, it's survivor's guilt. Maybe you're feeling guilty because you lived and they didn't uh, in a car accident, for, some, for example, or a soldier's coming back from somewhere. You're feeling survivor's guilt and you're haunted by that familiar spirit of that person through guilt and it's my job now to carry on their life for them. Sometimes children who have twins, uh, their twin dies. And that spirit comes upon them or they feel like they have, they're obligated to live for the dead sister. Some kids are named after a dead sibling. Um, And all these things uh, tie up your life and allow those demonic spirits to bind you in obligation and control you. So how do you break a soul tie? Well, first of all, you ask Jesus Christ to do it with the sword of his word. And you recognize if there's a need for forgiveness, of course, you forgive first yourself maybe because you're believing that I... I don't deserve to have my own life because they don't have theirs. And, and so whatever, you forgive yourself, forgive them, and then you ask the Lord to break the soul tie and you give back to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. You give back to them everything they gave you, their minds, their hearts, their wills, their bodies, and you take back by the power of the Holy Spirit everything that you gave to them or they took from you or was exchanged. You, so you're making yourself, you're bringing yourself back into oneness through the power of the Holy Spirit to be free to be yourself again Mm -hmm. and so that God will make you one with yourself and at peace with him. I have a lot of those prayers for things like that in the back of almost all the manuals that I've written. One is for breaking soul ties. Mm -hmm. On uh, liferecovery.com. Yeah. So, okay, um, let's talk about... The hard things. Authority. Well, we've been talking about hard things. Well, I think, don't you think um, that what do you do when, you know, for example... um, just in a normal everyday life of someone married mm-hmm. couple. And, you know, there's, there's this constant negative bad behavior. There's this constant ability, you know, uh, we're believing we're hearing from God. And for example, God might be saying, you need to divorce him. He's never going to change. You've been around this mountain 20 times. You know, God doesn't want you to be abused. You need to leave him. And, or on the other hand, the other, you might hear, 
I got to stay no matter what. I've got to stay because if I don't stay, God hates divorce, and I don't know why. So you're, you're, either way, the devil's going to play this thing. Mm-hmm. He's going to play it. Either you got to stay or you got to go. And, you know, nobody can say at this point you can go. At this point you can stay, except for the word of God that says um, if, if, uh, if there's marital infidelity, they're free to go. Uh, the the maid is free to go if they choose to go, and sometimes the unbeliever or the is, is is still wanting to stay, and in that case, you know if they want to go, you're not not you're not obligated to to stay because you can't because they're leaving and that takes the marriage part apart, but if they want to stay, they're not saved and you're saved, then there seems to be an obligation if there's not uh, domestic violence and abuse and whatever to stay. But the thing is, do we have to live in such uh, war is such strife, such bitter difficulty. How do we stay at peace when you're married to the devil? And, and how many of us get into a place, into a fight, just you know, in our normal everyday routines, where we're not behaving like God, even in the in the in the in the, in the most normal of homes? There are times when we're freaking out, we're blaming, we're bitter, we're uh, defensive. We're retaliatory, um, we're suspicious, and at that point in time, you are the best one to recognize what's going on, if you will, what's going on in your own life. Sometimes you can see it in the other person before they can see it, but you say, well, that you're not acting like yourself. What's going on here? That's not, that's not the Holy Spirit, and if it's not the Holy Spirit operating in you, then it's really not you. I mean, if, if, it's, if it's something that you know, it's misbehaving, it's personality, uh, you know, uh, anger, frustration, demonic, whatever. That is the demon controlling you. That is the demon manifesting through you and taking opportunity to bring strife. It says in the Bible, for example, uh, fathers, do not be bitter against your children. Well, obviously, in saying that, we know that there must be opportunities where the spirit of bitterness can come in to fathers against the children against the, or children. Against the wife and yeah be not against, against your them. wife yeah. yeah yeah exactly and so we know and and pretenders um paul even talks about pretenders in the Philippian in philippians where he says um i think this is quite interesting i just want to read it to you um if i can find it really fast well, he's talking about the um yeah people uh, that were preaching the gospel with uh, yeah uh-huh. insincerity yeah here it is he says, and so forth yeah where are you, honey? Ah, uh, Philippians one fifteen. Some indeed preached Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. Um, so that the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love. Um, so you see that there are people that are speaking, that are preaching the, the word of God as pretenders. They're pretending to be apostles of Jesus Christ. They're pretending to come in righteousness, pretending to come in love and care about your soul when they're preaching Christ actually out of strife, ambition, uh, selfishness, ambition, um, not sincerely. So um, so some are preaching Christ out of love um, and others out of pretension, out of deception. Um, so what do we know about that? We know that that obviously in every relationship there can be demonic activity going on, even in what looks to be a good thing. And so a lot of times this is really what we call divination. This is where a good thing, um, like preaching the gospel, 
like the woman um, in Acts 16.16 preaching, uh, marketing, uh, promoting Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas were doing a great thing. She had a spirit of divination. Because she was pretending to be supportive of them, endorsing them. And yet behind the scenes, she was still practicing witchcraft. And so this is what is very annoying. And, and I think this same spirit of deception pretending to be, you know, I've seen this too in marriages where um, the clever one, the really diabolical one, will set up the more naive, innocent one to look like they're insane and crazy and then take that information to the medical community to convince the medical community that the innocent one is insane, crazy, or the problem. And then the, the, the very intelligent, diabolical one will come off looking like uh, and has, has the endorsement, gets the kids uh, in the custody battle, whatever it is, and they are really the diabolical, uh, treacherous one and yet, because they're much more clever, and their demons are more clever, they can actually pretend to be the good, caring parent, but they're really not. And I've seen this happen. I mean, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's any number of ways that people can take advantage of one another um, and their demons dealing with other people's demons. So question, I guess we're running out towards the end of time. What do we do about dealing with other people's demons? Well, let's, let's, let's talk about two parts of this as we draw this to a close. Number one, can we ever, our own demons, can we ever be completely demon-free, even as believers? Well, I know believers can have demons, as we saw with Peter when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, and when James and John wanted to call down thunder, and and Jesus said to them, you do not know what spirit you're of. Um, Can we ever be free? I, I think from the internalizing I think as we get older and uh, and more <laughs> worked on, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, we become more and more mellow and at peace with God and more in love with Him and more resting in Him, more rejoicing in Him. But I don't believe the, that we ever end, there, there's never a, an end to the external at, at, attacks against people. It's a, it's a lifelong right. process. A lifelong well, look battle. at Paul, look at John uh, mm-hmm. on the Isle of Patmos. They're very old. And they're still, you know, being assaulted, uh, afflicted. But their hearts are, they're good inside. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um, the spirit is what's growing stronger day by day, but the outward man is perishing. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But so, and, and, the, and, and dealing with other people's demons, first of all, you have to be so willing to allow Jesus to show you what lies you're believing. Because when you're dealing with their demons, their demons are doing that to you because they can, because you're believing a lie. Like, for example... Um, if you're believing I'm no good, I'm unlovable, um, I am a victim, then the demons who target people who feel like they're victimized or set them up to believe they're victimized, they will target you with all kinds of assault and blame and accusation and things that victims go through. So if if you're being uh, unjustly accused, you're being victimized, you're being targeted, um, people are jealous of you, people take advantage of you, people lie about you, um, know this, that the reason they're doing that is because they can. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you know the truth about yourself, then that takes away 
the ability of the enemy to use that target on your back anymore by saying, you know, Lord, I cancel out every agreement that I'm a victim. I cancel out every agreement that I've ever made knowingly or unknowingly with the spirit that's tell, telling me I'm, I'm, ne- I'm always going to be less than. I'm never going to have a good husband. I'm never going to make it or um, that uh, people are jealous of me. I forgive them for being jealous of me. I bless you, Lord God, and I thank you for your truth in my life. And, and so it's a matter of dealing with yourself first. You're not going to try. Obviously, you can bind someone's demons. Um, you're going to pray to the Lord. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you peace. He's going to give you direction mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit to get through this very difficult, fiery trial. But at the same time, don't just put it all on them to change. God is using this to change you, too, and he's with you in the midst of this difficulty. To what extent, then, do we have authority over the demons and others? Well, I believe, because when we're married to them, I believe we have a lot of authority because there there are demons as well. And so, you know, I got my demons plus your demons. I bind both of them, all the demons, because they're messing with us, one flesh person, as a, in a, as a married couple. Um, however, uh, because we're two separate wills and two separate minds, um, the devil can come back at the one and and persuade that person to, again, come in agreement, into agreement with the lie. So, you know, they have still their free will. So you want to ask the Lord to show you what is the lie that my mate is believing that allows the enemy to keep getting in through the open door. What's the lie? The lie is um, I can't be alone or I can't trust her or whatever. What is the lie? So you get to the lie first and then you start dealing with the truth there. So the approach that we would take then with, uh, say, if we see demonic activity in our kids, grandkids, Mm -hmm. somebody at work, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody even in our church. Mm-hmm. What's the basic process to follow? Well, I would say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, you said my sheep know my voice. Show, show me what is the lie. Show me what is. Show me what is the lie that uh, my loved one is believing that's causing them to what rebel, be depressed, um, do bad in school. What's the lie? And the Lord will show you the lie. He said, my sheep know my voice, and if nothing comes to you, then bind the spirit that would block it. And once God shows you, well, they're believing they can't make it, or they're no good, or they don't measure up, or then you begin to, as a parent, be, you can bind that spirit that's tormenting your child, take authority over it, and, and bind it. And even if they're young enough, you can command it to leave. And I don't know what age that is. It depends on where they where it seems like you're still having that parental authority completely to protect and take care of them. Mm-hmm. And so, but if it's a mate, you bind that authority and then you, um, that spirit, that lie, that liar, and then release always, in every binding situation, always release, loose, permit, put in its place the opposite thing, which would be, I, and I always say the revelation of Jesus Christ, a revelation of his love, a hunger for his word. So it's using the authority that we have as believers and mm-hmm. then, you know, along with that, there's, there's a, the intercessory prayer as well. Right, and intercessory prayer is really a binding prayer. It's, it's interceding for their deliverance or for yes. the working um, to set them free. Okay. Yeah, well, do you think we covered it well enough? Well, I, I don't know. We, we, we said a lot. As, I think we went as far as we could here for this um, evening. Actually, you know, a while back um, I did do a, a, a CD on dealing with other people's demons, and it was quite a actually kind of fun in identifying them and a lot of times these demons will impersonate the other person they'll use the first person um, or they'll use the second person you and I didn't even talk tonight about the 
um, the third person impersonators, and you kind of alluded to that a little bit when we talked about you perceive the other person and through your eyes they look to be and you treat them as you see them instead of who they really are. So you treat them as you've been trained to see them through the filters, the perceptions, the demonic fog, the lies. And so if you treat your wife as, um, you know, or your husband as you have misperceived them to be, that's what I would call the third person impersonator, where the enemy comes to uh, cause you deliberately to misunderstand, misjudge, mistreat uh, your mate because you are misperceiving who they really are. So, um, again, it takes a lot of honesty to stay in a marriage. It takes a lot of fearless love. Love is fearless. And so love defeats the power, the powers of fear, but it takes love, real love, not just the mushy-gushy, I love you when you're nice to me kind of love. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, Marjorie, you have a lot of materials. You have yeah. uh, books, manuals, CDs, DVDs on uh, this subject and mm-hmm. many others related to spiritual warfare. You can find all that at uh, liferecovery.com. Yeah, we so, can. And uh, so, yes, we thank the Lord for operating, giving us that opportunity. Um, thank you for a wonderful interview. You did great, honey. Well, thank you. It always helps to have someone clarify the questions. Yeah, well, anyway. And we encourage you, if you have questions, to email us at mcole at liferecovery.com. And uh, we'd love to uh, hear from you uh, soon. Thank you very much for joining us. God bless you. Yes, and good night. I have an emergency. What is your location? for yourself.